are here in the 11FS offices in WeWork, Devonshire Square, in London for episode 78 of Blockchain Insider, the weekly show dedicated to the news of where blockchain meets crypto and crypto meets institutions. But today, well, it's a little bit different. We've got a special show where Colin and I look back over 2018, rosy tinted glasses and all, uh, and get into our 2019 predictions. All this and more on today's show. Alrighty, we're here, Colin. In, in Devonshire Square, it sounds weird. It doesn't sound right, does it? We work Oldgate, we work Devonshire Square. It's, it's longer and it's harder to see. Exactly. But I'm, you're not near a field. Well, I'm looking out the window, there's a tree. <laughs> <laughs> I, I we, feel semi at home. We have windows now. This is an upgrade. This is a big upgrade. And and Happy New Year, by the way. Yes, indeed. <laughs> uh, and, and a fun show we shall have. I hope everybody's had much merriment. Um, before we get into those 2019 predictions, though, it's probably a good idea to look at our 2018 predictions and some went well some not so well so this bit could be pretty fun uh, we've got to start with price because well you know everybody loves um, a price prediction and some of the uh, bitcoin chills had gone some monstrous ones i think there was there was i think the average between fifty thousand dollars and a hundred thousand uh, dollars and colin you were right up there um you said bitcoin will only start to enter bubble land with prices passing a hundred thousand dollars and people taking on debt to get in wasn't 27 a great time i i expected that the merriment was going to keep going on apparently people sobered up or got hangovers from the price um, so we didn't quite reach 100,000. We did hit very, very close to 20,000. Yeah. Um, about when I made this prediction, and then we we quickly fell off. Um, I think you you said our market cap was going to get to 750 billion, one trillion. We were, mm. we were around there. That's not yeah. bad. That's not bad. Yeah. So that was that was my call. I, I said two things. One, I said Bitcoin will have a major correction. The price will tumble. Um, and I did think that Jamie Dimon was going to come out and say he was right all along. That was the only bit I got wrong. Um, but yeah, I reckoned the market cap would start to top out around 750 billion and a trillion. That was a wild ass guess, yeah. right? There was no science to that. It was just pure gut. Um, but it just felt like the party could only go on so long before like profit taking and people that had a whole bunch of you know that passed on their bags to somebody else would suddenly start uh, start you know the ship shitcoin waterfall would really get going. The shitcoin waterfall that that was a great term. One thing I did say about this, um, I, I didn't completely lose it, so it's not a hundred hundred thousand negative points. It's only eighty thousand negative points. Um, that uh, the whole idea of payments. I mean, we did see a lot of people turn off in twenty eighteen. The ones the Bitcoin cash that wanted to go. Comparatively, the price wasn't great. It's a savings product. It's a shitty savings product that you have yeah, to Yeah, so lose your prediction was um, that uh, Bitcoin will fully pivot from payments to a savings product and in, in the sense that people will hodl the thing rather than try and use it to move money around the world. And, and you can see that in the transactions. They just stopped happening. Yeah. <laughs> And that's kind of the issue, right? And the, uh, I did say ICOs will become smaller and more legitimate. Um, they've certainly got smaller. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, maybe maybe not by their own willingness, but nobody wanted to give them money, and yeah. the money they gave them was a smaller number. <laughs> you thought that legitimate projects may come back to ICOs, but only after a massive culling. I think that's yeah. pretty fair. Uh, well, I think that was the second half. Uh, first, I said basically all we're going to be left with is scams. And I think if you pretty much look through the 2018 list, um, there was a whole lot of tax evasion trades. There was a whole lot of like really bullshit projects that were never going to happen. Um, I can't think of any good, legitimate ICO that started in 2018. I don't know if you thought, can think of any. Um, well, Pulling so, aside securities tokens. Yeah, okay. But I also think people who did a proper securities offering. So I still think um, 
IPFS, the Interplanetary File System, is an interesting technology. And they, they worked on Filecoin. So yeah. those are sister projects. So can I say Filecoin is what I'd want to do? No, I'd struggle with it, but but I think they've they've tried to do something legitimate. Maybe they've uh, aimed for the stars and, and not quite hit it. What I thought was interesting was there there were quite a few on, on the culling side. I mean, the SEC finally moved, and we're going to talk a bit more about this later. Um, but we started to see at least Centra get taken down back in April. Um, I love Centra. I've got a T-shirt out of that day. Um, we started to see some of the other ones uh, start to, to wind up, and I've heard about many more on a smaller scale that have voluntarily refunded. So the Bitcoin bubble burst, uh, ICOs uh, did get smaller and kind of go away. Uh, the other predictions I put out in a blog post was um, I thought Web 3.0 projects would gain traction. Wah, wah. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, so maybe not, but I think they've gained focus um, in that. Every, the other noise has gone away and people are now focusing on um, the switch to Casper, Plasma, uh, the things, those projects are still happening and that's more of what makes up the headlines than had previously, yeah. if I was to try and defend. I'm, traction I'm, is completely the wrong word choice. Traction, I, I, I agree with everything you said. I'm, I'm still on the fence of whether Web 3.0 is something or if it's a marketing term. Mm-hmm. Um, I think the things that you've mentioned will usher in new functionality that may eventually lead us to a new revolution in the way that we use data. Call it Web 3.0, call it something else. Um, but I think that we're still a ways out from that. That's fair. I think that's fair. Um, I also said institutions will need knowledge and infrastructure to safely invest in managing crypto. And by this, I meant low-end institutions. I think that was that was kind of a fairly safe bet, right? You're gonna, was. I was almost saying, hey, come talk to me, institutions, with that one. <laughs> and, uh, and we did talk to quite a few institutions in 2018 we about We did. <laughs> we did, indeed. Um, all right. And, and then I also said the first pump and dump ring will be arrested as organized crime. This was a really wild-ass guess. Um, I think we've seen arrests, though, yeah. um, but pump and dump rings um, a little bit harder to get. I remember we had a conversation, I think, right after we published this, uh, that you had been trolling through a bunch of these groups and got really pissed off about them. I mean, there's a lot of things, and I think the only arrests we've seen have been the one I mentioned earlier, Centra. Um, maybe that'll become more of a thing. We have seen some fines. Most yeah, and I think we're seeing good use of law enforcement. Generally, as I was speaking to the head of policy for Europol a couple of weeks ago at an event, and they were saying that they're starting to infiltrate this space a lot more, and they're starting to have um, you know a lot more surveillance and uh, countering financial crime work that's starting to happen here. So, and one thing I will say on this is is not the arrest, but I think you were right in so far that we've seen more announcements about these exchanges bringing in the technology to have surveillance themselves and self-police. So the, the pump and dumps are definitely still there. They're probably less effective. I just went wildly too specific on this. It's like people will start to clean up their act because regulators will move in, if you'd have called it that. Um, I, my last one was also a bit of a plea. 2018 is the year crypto has to grow up. I'd say uh, it grew down. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it, it shrunk. Um, you suggested that the White House will mention Bitcoin at least one time and the Federal Reserve in the US and the European Central Bank will mention the effect of cryptocurrencies on macroeconomics stability. That last point, holy crap. The I think FS- I was like, it was January 5th or 6th that the ECB came out. <laughs> that one was good. Maybe, maybe I knew something. I definitely didn't, though. I, I was hoping that Donald Trump would say, look, the way we're going to solve all of this is through an ICO. Maybe the market kept going. We had 100,000 Bitcoin. We wouldn't have any debt in the US anymore, but we'd have a whole lot of shit coins. Well, PetroCoin. I mean, 
had I been a bit wider about things, <laughs> where I said the blue house, we would have been talking about South Korea. You know, you were, you were like... Too specific. You were going for a, a wild, uh, maniacal uh, sovereign, leader of a sovereign. Um, you, you were close. I'm close. Uh, <laughs> um, you also predicted that um, collectibles like kitties would become a major trend, which I think it's important to mention. When you wrote this, crypto kitties weren't as big as they eventually right. became. And... What is interesting is the company behind it has actually gone on to raise normal venture capital funds quite substantially. So, I mean, good job on that, on that team. It's uh, Those guys are great. Um, other projects have come out. I still think that there's a lot behind this, but probably way too early. Um, but things are not moving at the pace that they were in 2017. Indeedy. Uh, last um, prediction around DLT. I said 2018 could be the year that we see DLT hit production at scale. Uh, I think we've seen it hit production. Scale is still coming, but I think you've now got robust DLT software stacks being used in production um, across various trade finance projects um, would be what stands out immediately. But there are some trading ones, HQALX, TradeIX, um, the stuff that the um, the Hyperledger guys are doing that I always forget, um, the we.trade stuff. I think that's not got massive volume, but the volume's starting to grow. But that is production. It's live. It's real. It's running. Absolutely. Um, already, this episode is brought to you by R3 Blockchain, not just for financial services. Tons of industries can reap major benefits, including insurance, healthcare, pharma, automotive, you name it, Colin. You name an industry. Do it right now. Uh, 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 crypto kitties. <laughs> <laughs> That's an industry that needs to take off. Um, R3's quarter platform offers privacy, interoperability, integration, and consensus for your kitties. Plus, it includes the mission-critical features that every complex business needs, including the world's only blockchain application firewall. The quarter platform, blockchain for every business and every industry. Head over to r3.com to learn more. Is it too late to name another industry? Name more industries. Do it. Fast food. Fast food blockchains. Burgers on a blockchain. <laughs> mm, hungry now. Get, <laughs> let's get consensus about that and go eat. Alrighty. Um, before we get into our own predictions for 2019, Bitflyer's COO, Andy Bryant, gave us his 2019 predictions. Hi, my name is Andy Bryant, and I'm the Chief Operating Officer at Bitflyer Europe, the only Bitcoin exchange to be regulated across Europe, Japan, and the US combined. Next year, I predict we'll see three big developments within the crypto and blockchain industries. First, whilst stablecoins aren't a new addition to the crypto market, we will see them solidify their place in the market next year with smart contracts being on the horizon. Smart contracts allow for flows of funds to be automated based on business logic and triggers that can be coded and decentralised, running without the need for expensive solicitors or trustees. While this opens up a whole new world of automation, it's a safe assumption that we won't see the first widespread smart contracts transacting in Bitcoin or Ether due to their volatility. Stablecoins may be a better choice for smart contracts, and this is the fundamental value proposition that will put them on center stage as a base layer for the next wave of blockchain innovation. The question remains whether the existing projects for stablecoins of the same denomination will eventually consolidate, continue to fragment, or be remonopolized by central banks who are also looking at stablecoins very closely. Secondly, I believe that the industry growth around security tokens will continue to accelerate. It's clear that the ICO boom in 2017 was in large part about a frothy exuberance. However, what the ICO boom did do was catapult the benefits of tokenization to the front of people's minds, which include increased or new forms of liquidity, rapid settlement, 24-7 markets, and fractional ownership, amongst others. I liken the ICO boom to the invention of fire, 
It's an important and exciting new technology, but in its raw form, people can get hurt or your house can burn down. Security tokens are like an internal combustion engine. They take exciting innovations of ICOs and harness that fire with additional layers of compliance and security to legitimize the technology and open a door to brand new industries and investor pools. I'm very excited about the changes this will bring, whether from securitizing existing tokens, tokenizing existing securities, or even creating brand new business paradigms that couldn't exist before, like packaging up revenue streams from things like movies, song rights, young businesses, and endless other possibilities. Finally, one of the biggest trends that will truly begin to unfold next year is the halo effect of industries being built around blockchain. While many existing industries are busily and wisely attempting to understand, pilot, and adapt blockchain technology to their empires, meanwhile, there are brand new industries quietly starting to emerge. This is what I mean by the halo effect, whereby the world starts to realize and develop applications of blockchain and distributed ledgers that have never been possible before. It allows entirely new concepts to rise and capture our imaginations. In the short term, we can expect to see emerging industries directly sprouting from existing ones, such as new hardware wallets, custody solutions, and KYC technologies. Looking further into the future, though, the potential emergent developments could in fact change the way in which we operate. For example, smart contract auditors, self-sovereign charging stations, machine-to-machine marketplaces, even smart economies. The list is endless. To quote Bill Gates, we tend to overestimate what will happen over the next two years and vastly underestimate what will happen in the next 10. No one anticipated in 1995 what sort of new paradigms would be enabled by decentralized knowledge. Now we're adding decentralized value to the mix. The opportunities to build tomorrow's economies are hard to even imagine. All right, thanks very much to Andy. Uh, On with the probably less accurate and less informed predictions from myself and Colin G. Platt. May or may not be less predictable. (laughs) Alrighty. First prediction from me is the crypto part of crypto becomes much more important than the asset or the currency part. Now, I'm going to be real. Um, We did an interview with Vitalik and he made this point. (laughs) So this... If anybody can make a good prediction, it's probably Vitalik. <laughs> so this is kind of copying and pasting. So I'm going to do an appeal to authority, which I know is a logical fallacy. Um, but I'm also basically, I was swayed by this articulation that uh, the problem with cryptography was it was a point in time. I signed a transaction at a point in time, but I didn't know if that was still true. With a state machine like a blockchain, what I fundamentally have is something that will be true until I tell it otherwise. So the, if I send, uh, if I write a transaction to a blockchain and I sign that, everybody can see that I signed that. And that was there to be seen until I send another transaction that says that state has now changed. That I think that persistence argument is really, really interesting. And it's on the face of it, you go, oh, well, that's not very interesting. And then you start to think about the implications for it. And if we start to have more of a conversation about uh, the next generation of cryptography or cryptography plus state, I think that's a completely different technology conversation than we've been having historically of like cutting out middlemen and um, you know peer-to-peer electronic cash and all of these use cases that just seemed like centralization was arguably a better answer for. I was hoping you'd say something about chameleon hashes. <laughs> uh, yeah. D- does anybody remember the chameleon hash? Remind uh, everybody what that was. Oh, this is this is the editable blockchain from our good friends at Accenture. Uh, unfortunately, not the edible blockchain, which would have been a lot more tasty. And well, let's go back, back to those burgers. Back to those burgers, my friend. All right. 
next uh, next prediction for me was DLT makes a comeback. Don't call uh, it a comeback. Yeah, don't call it a comeback, my friend. Um, again, I think this is stuff getting to production starts to hit scale. Uh, after the bubble, everybody stopped noticing the DLT projects and sort of poo-pooed, oh, those silly enterprises, what do they know? And quietly in the background, uh, people have been doing stuff. And as Blythe Masters said on this podcast uh, about uh, 10 or so episodes ago, a uh, person works hard is not a great headline. Um, but actually, that's what's been happening. Next one was uh, institutions dip a toe in the water as infrastructure build out hardens. Um, by this, I mean um, moving beyond uh, single family offices as, uh, custod- as custody solutions come to market that are more robust, as people figure out how to be compliant with crypto assets. And there are uh, still a great deal of uh, kind of high net worth individuals or low level funds that have been in this space for quite some time. Um, you'll see a different type of maturity of institution coming to the market. I'm thinking about the clients of a Galaxy Digital, the clients of a Gemini, the, the people who are working directly directly now with uh, OTC desks like Circle and, and now Coinbase have set up an OTC desk. I, really, the hardening of that infrastructure is, is my theme here. Interesting. I, I think especially when we saw with 2018, a lot of the big name banks kind of making announcements about having a trading desk and then retracting those announcements. Yeah. It's a bold call. I think this is bottom up, not top down, though. This isn't tiers one. Uh, or two or three. This is this is your Swiss cantonal bank saying, "I'm going to open a desk." Yes. Okay. And or, uh, or private banks. Yeah. Or yeah, Asian private banks saying, "Right, we've got clients that want to buy into the stuff as a safe haven investment or whatever else." Bingo. Or fund the funds, that sort of thing. Fund the funds. Interesting. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Uh, so I think that's where you'll see more of it starting to come in. Uh, I think regulatory clarity comes at last, and I think largely this isn't a hard one because it's so to happening. Um, certainly in the US, you've got a very much rules as rules, like you fit into these buckets or we arrest you. Um, and then in Europe, I think you'll start to see that coming through next year. I think Europe will be the more interesting one. And the US, the rules were clear. It's just unfortunately nobody liked the rules. And yeah. I think what we're starting to see, and I'll talk about this a bit more um, when we get to mine, is um, yeah, they're they're hard and fast and they they aren't great if you're trying to do something innovative. Yeah. I, w- I wonder if that will become a theme of new rules. We're starting to see bills. I, I think so. Um, the new rules, like having a securities token offering isn't really much different to having a security and just creating a security. I've got all of the same issues, all the same risks. I've got no more data, no more transparency. I just have, an, instead of a, a contract, I have a token. And I probably still have both because I need the legal contract as well as the token. So it's just like adding something on at the end. It's not. I don't really get what the benefit of a securities token is. I'm going to be really honest. I, I don't either. And I think that I think what a lot of people are hoping is a securities token offering is just a piece of paper that once you've done that, you've crossed the hurdle, mm-hmm. and then you go back to what you were doing before. And they leave out the part that if I want to do these innovative things with my token, using it as a utility token. That happens to be a security. Yeah, I need the legal construct around that to make sense. I, and a lot of these things you can't do. Like, I can't put something in an escrow inside of a blockchain, and whoever comes and takes it, my security, can take it. Because I haven't done KYC on 
every possible person that could grab this thing. Yeah, it's just not legal. <laughs> so I like the idea that I could immobilize the asset and create like a almost like a little PayPal network where people could transact between that. And but then I'd have a centralized actor who basically created that. So what's the point? Um, alrighty. Uh, last one was um, new projects are born that go on to become household names in the next decade. This is a bit of a hunch, and we're not going to be able to tell this one for a decade, so it's quite a quite a long shot. So come back to us in 2028, folks, uh, and let's see if this one came true. But basically, what I'm I'm sort of pointing at here is um, we've had this creative destruction phase, and usually in a bear market, interesting companies are born. Uh, so watch for uh, companies that wouldn't have existed start to be built of ideas to be formed uh, during this period of time. Maybe some of them already exist, but I just think people will start to build things now that look a little bit different to what they did before. I think every project that comes out in 2019 to make sure this is fulfilled should put Petrit in their name so that Petrit will become that household name. Wow. There's, there's something that we can make happen. All right. Uh, enough, with, uh, enough with my predictions. Let's get on to yours. Uh, what was your first prediction? I like to talk about numbers. So I think numbers are going to end up sideways. I know that's a really safe bet because who the hell else has anything? If you paid attention to what I said last year and are using this as trading advice, you're a moron. None of it is trading advice. None of this is trading None advice. None of this is trading advice. Do your own research. Do your own research and just ignore what I said about price. Um, <laughs> I still think that there's, I mean, we could do something crazy like go down Bitcoin below a thousand bucks. Maybe something crazy like Ether below 10. Hey, that'd be crazy. We're, you know, we're finishing the year in the, the 90s, the 100s, whatever. We can still go up and down. Um, we're going to see. I think the big catalyst is I still think ETFs are unlikely but possible in 2019. Um, backed uh, that new exchange being the big catalyst launching in January. Um, backed the, being B-A-K-K-T, which is coming from ICE, the owner of the New Starbucks York Stock Exchange. And, yeah, all these great, great things. Um, two of the things that were really clear from the SEC were um, we want to have more oversight on the underlying um, in the US because we want to be able to have one, one throat uh, to choke. Backed is great because they're headed, headquartered in Atlanta. They can go choke them pretty quickly. Um, they need to have enough volume to do it. And then the other stuff is the oversight and all this infrastructure that you talked about. The infrastructure stuff, ironically, is easier than the liquidity. So uh. this is a big gamble. It may happen. I still think it's unlikely, but it's in the range of possibilities. Um, I still think ETFs are ways out. The bigger catalyst on the other way that we could still go down, and especially Ethereum, um, is the zombie marmot apocalypse. Uh, yeah, so talk to me about prediction number two, zombie yes. marmot apocalypse. This this one comes from 2017. Uh, it was a a uh, prediction that Preston Byrne, our good friend of the show, uh, made and, you know, a good uh, marmot aficionado. Yeah, so for those of you who don't know, Preston Byrne is a qualified both UK and US lawyer um, with, a, with a history of being a securities lawyer, uh, known for his love of small furry uh, marmots. He uh, is a which, furry, isn't he? Yeah, which, which is a rodent, um, <laughs> also known as a groundhog, uh, which happens to be very cute, and he mentions it in almost every sentence. I think it was initially a stress response to seeing so much crazy shit happening in the world that he just sort of had a verbal tick for the word marmot. <laughs> marmot. <laughs> I think that there's something behind that prediction. Yeah. <laughs> um, but so explain he, this one. He gave a range of possibilities that were, it, he called the, the post uh, bearish case for crypto in 2017, where everything was heading towards the moon. Uh, he was the one standing up there trying to shoot it back down to earth. Um, one of those predictions he titled the zombie marmot apocalypse, which is essentially the regulators come in, they start to find out what's wrong, and they turn it into a template, and they mow down everyone. 
Um, that brings projects that are heavily reliant on this uptake of ICO funds in dropping. Ironically, we've seen you know Ethereum go through a bigger pop than the 2013 bubble of Bitcoin, where I think Ether hit a, a high of 1500 US, um, it's dropped uh, down in the double digits. We haven't even really seen any real regulatory action. What happens if things start getting closed down? Some of the bigger um, Filecoin or things like that, that could really have a negative effect if they start having to dump Ether out. Well, so these ICOs that have also um, sort of uh, managed their treasuries in an interesting way where they've backed into fiat. So like they sold their crypto. They've now got a fiat holding. They're, they're legal. Those are and few and far between if you look at the analysis. Really? Yeah, really. Yeah, I, some have. Some have done very good jobs. Some have done SaaS and not even relied on the price of Ether. But uh, I know Dyer and The Block have done lots of research and great publications uh, over 2018 about the treasuries, and there hasn't been much movement. Um, another catalyst I, I see is happening is just because it's dropped so much. I mean, we can talk about the smaller raises, but even the really well-funded things that aren't directly tied to that, is it beyond the realm of imagination that somebody like a consensus or Ripple could face legal action about the tokens that they're involved with? Mm -hmm. Maybe, maybe not. I mean, there's a lot of tokens out there. There's uh, a lot of tokens. Stable coins. What's your prediction here? Uh, that they're moronic. Um, and I think people will eventually figure that out. But first, we're going to give them all their money. Okay. Um, <laughs> so uh, there's a lot of reasons why people are interested in the idea of having stable tokens. We just talked about the price going up, down, sideways, whatever it is. Surely, if I could have a cryptocurrency, but it didn't have volatility, that would solve world hunger. Surely. I know that uh, Roger Veer is buying into that. But um, the problem is uh, not just that it costs money, but I think these things can actually, if they get big enough relative to the blockchain they live on, can become like detrimental parasites. So you ever watch like those nature shows where some fungus gets in an ant and it forces the ant to like go crawl up on a tree in the sun and then it like grows out of its head and turns into a mushroom? Love that. That's that's what I see these things. That was so visual. So visual. <laughs> I, I think David Attenborough did something on it. Go find that video on YouTube. And watch see, that. I was thinking of like the movie Venom, which I thought was pretty good. But that's another good way, but that's probably a better explanation. <laughs> We're gonna go with Simon's. Um, but <laughs> the this thing's eventually gonna burst out of their chest if they become big enough. Maybe it's gonna be something like Die and the Maker Dow. Maybe it's gonna be something like the USDC, where it becomes so big it's too big to not rob. Um, and I think that's eventually the worry, especially if the prices keep dropping. But surely, like, at that point, what you've got is, like, as and somebody issues that USDC unless it's um, done algorithmically, right? So you've got either fiat-backed, uh, algorithm-backed, or some sort of crazy central bank. Um, yeah. So it's either crypto-backed, uh, fiat-backed, or an algorithm. The uh, fiat-backed... That just looks like a bank, surely, which is like it, it's it's incumbent on whoever's issued the fiat-backed token to protect that the same way they protect a bank account, right. protecting the underlying dollars. But if I'm attacking it, I don't need to get to that bank money. I just need to get it to you before you realize that I've screwed this thing over and done a double spend or whatever else it is, and that you can't get that bank money. Interesting. So that's my worry. Um, I'm, I'm doing some research on that and hopefully should have a paper that is more detailed than just being this FUD. Uh, <laughs> but, you know, I, I think it's going to be a concern. Uh, securities tokens. Another this thing, is prediction number four from Colin. Securities tokens. I think that there's going to be another realization that I was starting to allude to, which is these things are a pain in the cock. Yeah. <laughs> um, and it's more than just filing a piece of paper and saying, woohoo, we're compliant with the SEC or, you know, we don't pass the Howey test or we do pass the Howey test. Whatever they're trying to say nowadays, because... Once you become a security, everything you do is regulated. And as Elon Musk realized, running a public company 
is a pain in the ass. And running a public company in open source is going to be a whole lot worse. Has anybody ever run a public company based 100% on open source where all the management decisions were put out to unknown individuals or quasi-known individuals? Well, so this was kind of the issue with like open source made sense if it was freely available, nobody was getting paid, and it was all done on contributions, or there was a foundation running it. Yeah. Uh, and that was a not-for-profit. This uh, creation of a monetary incentive creates a whole bunch of concerns around um, yeah, incentives. Like, why is somebody doing this? And what are their responsibilities? And what happens if I go in and I make a contribution, you're the one that's the legal entity on the hook, and I make something that is ultimately against the law and it gets accepted by the majority, and you're the one that goes to jail because your name's behind it. Well, and this is why I think the CFTC saying that the people who write smart contracts may be liable for what their code does. I actually think that makes sense. Yeah. Not in the sense that some poor smart contract developer who was really well-intentioned could be in trouble. I don't think that's who they're after. Yeah. I think what they're doing is they're setting a precedent going forward that says, if smart contracts become widely adopted, and by this I mean logic that people share and subscribe to across multiple legal entities, then you, you need somebody to be on the hook for having created that. Because right now, I create my own logic, you create your own logic, and I'm on the hook for mine and you're on the hook for yours. If somebody else creates it, then you know, typically it was a, an exchange or an FMI. There was somebody who's, you throw it, you could choke. And, there, and there's a lot of people who are just not capable of actually reading these things. You need to rely on somebody. They need to have some kind of duty to not screw you over at least. Mm -hmm. I, I, yeah. I, my hope in all of this is people realize that there are other ways to move these assets around without them becoming securities. And again, I keep talking about it, but CryptoKitties is an interesting way to say, I'm going to issue something that under nobody's, nobody's definition will be considered a security. The downside is we need to pay taxes on these things, and hopefully all, all that's being done correctly. Um, or you look at the cryptocurrency and just say, what I need to do is actually just a real business that happens to need cryptocurrency to do that, yeah. which isn't a security. That's where things get interesting. I think digital goods and digital art, um, I'm, I'm surprised we haven't heard more about. Um, and often with this space, uh, it's, it's not the things that people started out thinking was going to be amazing that, that end up changing it. It's those little outlier things at the edges. Um, and there's a lot of those. And, and there's, there's a whole bunch of opportunity for those to come up. So as you look at 2019, how, where's your mood? Like, what, are you thinking this is going to be a fun year intellectually for you? Is this going to be something you're excited to get into? Or are you thinking, ah, oh, fuck, i got to go do something else? Intellectually, I think it's the most interesting time since I first got into it in late 2013. Yeah. Um, as far as like whether I see there's any clear opportunities to go out and say, right now I can execute this and make a ton of money, I think those are probably gone for the time being. <laughs> um, but that doesn't make it any less interesting because it's during the bear markets that people go out and build. Yeah. I'm not going to say with the D and the L the wrong way because 2019, my New Year's resolution is never say that word. Yeah. Well, I mean, it's been trademarked now. It's in the process, still, right? <laughs> that, that process takes forever, um, and that was protective when they got called out on it, right? Yeah, but it's still a dumb meme. <laughs> <laughs> That's, well, 2019 is the year we killed dumb memes. Um, <laughs> no, <laughs> <laughs> can't have that. Um, well, not when one of your predictions is the zombie mama apocalypse. Um, <laughs> I'm excited for 2019, and I'm excited because. Uh, person in the corner works hard, starts to pay off. Uh, I think we start to see uh, DLT grow up. I, I really do think that DLT makes a comeback thing is probably my big one. Um, and 
I really start to, and I think the first one of like cryptographers start to look at crypto differently and we start to get away from this is a money-making scheme and this is financial to this is a technology conversation and what business models can be enabled. And that's going to be just this whole refreshing change of perspective. We're going to get away from um, crypto Twitter and we're going to get into this other area. Um, so so you're see. saying we're going to see 2015? Yeah, <laughs> 2015, uh, all over again. Uh, bigger, Yay! better, better. Uh, <laughs> let's do this. All righty. Um, well, that's it for our 2019 predictions. Uh, if you uh, if you like what you heard, this podcast is made by 11FS, and we're a challenger consultancy working to shape the next generation of financial services uh, and financial memes um, with Colin G. Platt. That's why I'm here. Um, if you want to check out the kind of stuff we do, take a look at metal.co.uk, um, as well as check out our website, 11fs.com. Um, and if you liked our 2019 predictions, um, why not subscribe to Blockchain Insider? Um, the subscribe button's like right there. Um, and throw us a review on iTunes. Uh, you might want, want to give uh, a five-star review because Colin G. Platt, well, some of his predictions were kind of strange there. I thought mine kind of won, especially with my track record. Uh, I don't know about you, Colin. you think we should get five stars? Strong track record for both of us. <laughs> you ignore everything about price. And... Uh, it would be awesome if you'd leave us the reviews. Um, th- that was an absolutely amazing 2018. My God, the definition of a roller coaster. Um, we do hope you've had a good Christmas break and you're ready for 2019. Uh, it should be twice as nice um, as producer Petro wrote. After, after the roller coaster goes down, normally it comes up, right? No, so it goes, <laughs> goes all the way up and it comes back down and then you finish. You might have some what are the loops? loops? Well, we haven't got the loops yet. We've had those. No, it's just been the down. It's been more down. (laughs) Uh, Where can people find out more about you, Colin? Uh, People can find out more about me on Twitter at Colin G. Platt or to Hassle Simon and get my contact details. Uh, (laughs) HassleSimon.com. Or at Petrit.com. <laughs> That's not a real handle. Everything's going to be Petrit in 2019. You can get Petrit at 11fs.com if you want to get to our Email Petrit at 11fs.com. Or Pet at 11fs.com because somebody's got multiple handles on their email address. I'm going to tokenize that. Uh, tokenize email addresses. All right. Um, a big thank you to our production team, of course, producer Petrit, who is here and sniggering um, and laughing away happily and getting involved, um, as well as Alex Woodhouse, our editor. Thank you for listening. We'll have more Blockchain Insider next week. Goodbye for now.